Welcome to the All Things Blues and Southern Rock Podcast. A Southern storm of bold, liberating rock, shot through with blues, soul, and gospel. And now, your hosts for the show, Brian Jones and Jason Johannes. Welcome to another episode of the All Things Blues and Southern Rock Podcast. Uh, Jason's here as well. And uh, what are we gonna? What are we gonna like? Uh, what's going on? And what's the conversation direction going in? I think I got a name. Man, we've just been on a heck of a run of really, really good artists with new records out there. Just, just incredible run. And then, who we're gonna talk to tonight is a is got a new record out, or well, it was new a couple weeks ago, but um played with a lot of our favorites the georgia thunderbolts and bourbon house and, and some other stuff's going on and by this time you're hearing this there should be some new north american dates out there but man like what do you think about this run of artists that we've had on uh great now i know we'll do like a longer episode about it but can you like give us like an abbreviated uh review of uh, the cold stairs new uh album voices you want me to be abbreviated about it? That's going to be hard to do. <laughs> Give us a teaser. Um, no, it is, it is, it is great. Like we love the Cold Sears. I love the Cold Sears, but um, this new record is definitely different from their others because adding Bryce to play the bass has opened it up for Chris to play a little different, have different styles of songs. So you're going to hear a couple acoustic songs, one song with him. Uh, just singing over an organ like it is great it's got the heavy songs it's got the mid-tempo songs it's got the light songs it is my favorite record of theirs to date I love I love the heavy shoes I thought that was a phenomenal album that's what got me into them but this one surpasses it let me pull out my record so there are 13 songs on this Brian 13 mm-hmm. songs so there is a lot on here uh, nothing but the blues come for me waiting on the rain dude great just crushers of uh, voices which is the name of the album great title track um got no right is the one where he's singing over an organ it just lights out lights out is a great almost like an arena rocker man when you listen to it like it's just a great up straight up rock song so sounds great uh they've been doing um radio station tours they're gonna they, they just released their european tour dates and we should see some american dates coming out with them again soon but record is voices from the cold stairs i give it a nine out of ten very very good um we got jacks coming up with a new record soon um doug what she's put out so far Yep. She's coming out in, I believe, the beginning of May. And April, we've got L.A. Guns and our friend Ace Von Johnson. Looking forward to Black Diamond coming out. I've, the first two tracks I've heard from that are great. But um, definitely go back and get the Cold Stairs. If you dig their music or if you dig blues-inspired rock music, check them out. Power Trio now. And also, before we uh, go into our artist, uh, we are pursuing a, a great second-generation artist, we're not going to tell you who it is but uh our great. friend who uh doug deutsch who helps us you know gets us in touch artists also you gave me a little tease of some jane lee hooker news coming up so oh really oh yeah 
Yeah, I'll see if it's what Tracy told me or, or not. I'm not going to say anything. Yeah. I was bothering her not yeah. too long ago. Like, what's going yeah. on with Jane Lee Hooker? Yeah. And right. I will say, though, the artist you're teasing, Brian, we'll give you a couple of hints. We'll get you a couple of hints. It's turning to, to, to spring. Weather's going to get warm. We're going to enjoy a nice blue sky, um, you know. And if you like blue sky and sunny weather, it brings warm weather fruit and sometimes it's a good time to eat a peach so just saying yeah for sure for sure i don't know if peaches are in season yet but hopefully soon if they're not i don't know anything about peaches what the hell do i know <laughs> they're from georgia yeah and there's the peach festival it's up in new york right it's up montage mountain something like that yeah which yeah. really has a lot of cool bands i think yeah, andy outdoors and his bands played yeah. up there and yep well, I think our guests could uh, play any of these cool lineup festivals. I, I think he has. And, you know, I'm this, sure this guy, who, this who guy has, is, has, played with? has <laughs> and you'll hear when we talk to him, um, uh, Jared James Nichols, you know, the, the great guitar player, singer, part of the Power Trio namesake band. He just released in, in February, uh, Jared James Nichols. So his third album, it's a self-titled album to me, Brian. It's his most well-rounded Rocky one to date. I love it. I think it's a great one. And he is a, uh, he's got some good stories to tell us. Yeah. And you know, my knowledge of him is in its infancy, but after talking to him, let me tell you what, uh, he's going to be a regular. He's got to, he's got to be a regular. And yeah, you guys are going to hear some stories that are just like unbelievable. Like I jaw hits the floor. So he, he got a, he got a good start in the music business and such a nice friendly dude. Yeah. And so uh, you guys are going to relax and listen to our conversation with Jared James Nichols. We're here at the guest segment of the podcast. Jason gets to introduce the guest as he always does. And I am super excited for our guest this week. A great guitar player has a self-titled album that came out last month, six weeks ago. It's awesome. He just had a birthday. Uh, fantastic player, singer, performer. We're excited to have on Jared James Nichols. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thank you guys so much for having me. This is awesome. How is everything in Nashville? It's pretty mellow. I got off the road uh, like a little less than probably 10 days ago. and. Um, I moved into a new spot over the holidays. So I'm kind of like uh, loving the fact that I'm just kind of getting my music room together. Cool. Doing my That's thing. Exciting. But Nashville's great. I mean, there's always something going on, man. There's always a jam or I feel like every night someone's calling me, hey, dude, come over here. You know what I mean? <laughs> great. Not bad if you're a performer. Now, um, you just had a birthday. Happy birthday. Happy Thank birthday. you. Yeah, man. Another birthday. Another another. Uh, Another trip around the sun, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're at the age, I think, where you still can enjoy them. At, <laughs> at, I'm at, Brian and I are at the age where we just want people to let us alone. <laughs> you're like, you don't want anyone to know it's your birthday? You no. just go, no. Nah, nah, my birthday was like last month, Ben. And that's like, it is your birthday. <laughs> yeah, I always funny. tell people, like, on social media, I'll be like, bad news. On my birthday, I'd be like, hey, my birthday's been canceled. It's been, you know, <laughs> rescheduled for next year. I do that every year as a running gag. I love it, man. I love it. Well, thank you very much. I had a, uh, a good birthday. I was able to, uh, what did I do? We had some friends over. I jammed. We played guitars. 
had some drinks, you know, kind of like every other day. Yeah, what else, what else is there to do, right? Play, totally. play guitar with your friends and have a couple of drinks. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Do you have a particular drink that you like? So I talked to this guy last week. I and he had a, a podcast actually, and it was all about whiskey. Oh, bourbon round table, bourbon table, uh, round table. Yes, dude. Yes, nice. So we're gonna so, be on that. Shh, don't tell anybody. That's amazing. You're gonna love it. So you just did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're like, don't tell anyone. Whoops. It was amazing because like, I mean, you guys, I was sitting there, right? Like I'm in my guitar room, right? Like I got all my stuff hanging out. Everything's hanging hey, out. Hey. But hey, hey. I'm sitting here with all my gear and whatever. And all of a sudden I'm sitting there sniffing whiskey. She's like, he's like, do you smell the accents of the butterscotch? And, you know, so I have been getting into whiskey more. I'd say if I had a favorite drink, there's a whiskey, it's called Greenbriars. It's hmm. made like, it's supposedly the guy that taught Jack Daniels how to make whiskey. It was his recipe and his family oh. found it. This is what they say. It sounds like a tall tale, <laughs> but, and they started making it again and it's delicious. Green, I'm going to write that down. You uh, should Brian's check it out. Retired. Brian's retired, but I yeah, still imbibe. I'm retired. Too much fall down and go boom. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good thing then. <laughs> <laughs> so do you find like, like if you read like the coffee will do the same thing hints of caramel with this do you do you sense that in the whiskeys that you try well i never did before because like like i was telling him you know like it's kind of like when we're on the road because he he was all about oh man when you're on the road you get a rider and he was like do you ever pick different stuff and i'm like man our rider is like the mcdonald's of a band <laughs> on tour you know what i mean it's like if it's not burgers it's uh trail mix beef jerky maybe some fruit, uh, monster energies, a case of water, a case of beer. And if there's a whiskey, it's going to be Jack Daniels. Yeah. Cause yeah. we figured out it's everywhere. Steve Gorman was on that podcast too. And he was talking about back in the day with the crows and like, yeah, we had all, we had Jack Daniels, Jim Beam, all the rock and roll whiskeys. <laughs> yeah, man. It's, it's funny. Cause like we would be anywhere in the world. Let's say like we were touring in Europe, we're here in the States or even in Japan. And they're like, they they trying to get the whiskey. They can always find Jack Daniels. Do you drink it? How do you drink it? Mm, I just honestly, I'll drink it. Uh, I'll just put a little like a little straight in a cup. I, I'm I'm. I, what is that called? Neat? Is that neat? Neat. Yeah, neat. I guess I'm neat. All right. Yeah. <laughs> no, man. no mixer. No ice. Nothing. You just go for it. Yeah, I'm not a. I don't know about you guys. I'm not like a soda guy. And I used to drink like energy drinks and stuff like that mm -hmm. back in the day. But like my palate has changed. It's like my coffee now. Like when I drink coffee, I just drink black coffee. Yeah. yeah. You know how that goes. I Now I'm getting older. I'm showing my age, right? You Do know? you drink like Folgers or you got some sort of gourmet brand that you like? No, no. I am. I'm the simplest guy when it comes to that kind of stuff. And truth be told, man, I don't usually have a lot of caffeine. I'm just like naturally. Uh, um, what's the right word? Not buzzed, but I'm naturally just up. You Full know, of energy, energy, energy. Yeah, totally. But my wife, she drinks Folgers. I drink like the cheapest truck stop. Like, let's go to Love's. <laughs> let's get a cup of coffee. You know what I mean? Like to me, that's all I need to get it running. <laughs> there's nothing. You know what? There's something to be said for the gas station coffee. There's a Ohio-based gas company called Speedway, and I oh, happen dude. to really like Speedway. Yeah, Speedway has good coffee. Speedway is great, man. I was a Speedy Rewards member for years. <laughs> there you go. Was that from your time in Wisconsin or somewhere yeah. else? 
Yeah, that was from growing up. They had Speedways, and Speedway yeah. was like the nice gas station. Like if we wanted right. to go to like to get like a slushy or get like a good coffee, we'd go to Speedway. Now they're getting fancy. They do pizzas and stuff now. It's a little bit. I'm I'm a little bit down on just because they're trying to step up their game, and I kind of like when it's dirty. Well, man, have you guys ever been to Bucky's? I've heard about it. Bucky's is like the Walmart of gas stations. Like it's always packed. It has like every single food. They have like a deli. They have people making uh, hot chicken sandwiches and briskets and barbecues and beef jerky. It's like gas stations are like morphing. <laughs> I know this isn't what we're here to talk about. No, but it's so good. Why not? <laughs> when, we, when I go to uh, what's the one on the East Coast? Sheets. Wawa. Sheets. Oh, sheets? yeah. Yeah. My hometown Dude. here is getting sheets in Ohio this I've like heard this about year. Sheets. Sheets, you walk in there and you go up to a touchscreen and it's like, what do you want? And like, I'll be like, okay, cool. I'm going to get like a, let's say I'm going to get a burger. And it's like, do you want to make that a double? And I'm like, of course I do. And then they're like, <laughs> do you want an onion ring on there? And you're like, yeah. Did you want deep fried pick? You know, like, and before you know it, I've got this $30 burger. And uh, it's, it's just funny because, you know, I just remember growing up, like you guys, you know, you go to a gas station. It's like, yeah, we'll get like a soda and, and a Snickers bar. Now you yeah. can go and you can just go feast. You can go have a, you know, three or four star meal <laughs> freshly made. Where is the Bucky's? Is that like, are you talking about down south or is there Texas a in Wisconsin? No, no I, I first I went seen. to Texas. So like when we toured like through Texas, it always be like, dudes, we got to stop at Bucky's. One time I went to Bucky's with, um, do you guys know who Chris Jericho is? Yeah. 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 I was on tour and sing, his singer of his own band. Metal so band. I was on tour with his band. You're on tour with Fozzie. <laughs> yeah, Fozzie. We went to a Bucky's at like 2.45 after a show. And Chris was like, stop the bus. We're going to Bucky's." And he went, <laughs> we went in there and he's like, anything anyone wants. People were like buying clothes. I mean, they have like a whole like, it's seriously like a Walmart style. But anyways, yeah, so we saw them in Texas, and then uh, now they're in Tennessee. They're growing. They're moving around. Well, I mean, it's like a cult thing, I know. I, I always see people post about that stuff. Mm-hmm. It is like a Bucky's cult. And if you see someone in like a Bucky's like hat or t-shirt, like I'll always give them the nod. <laughs> like, I know. And they do the Bucky's bites, right? They're like, I don't know if they're chicken nuggets or what are they? Oh, dude, they have the beaver... Uh, they're called, I think that I can't remember what they're called. Yeah, because Bucky's a beaver, right? Yeah, they have the, um, what the hell are they called? Some like kind of like toffee, like popcorn bites, but then they do have like chicken bites. Um, but man, they have the best brisket sandwiches. Really? Well, if it's Texas, um, right? You sort of got to be on new brisket. <laughs> it's crazy. This is the food All right. podcast now. This is this is this is this is whatever the conversation turns to, right, Brian? We never know. Yes, I love it. It's been refreshing to have the yeah, all things blues, southern rock, coffee, whiskey, and uh, gas Bucky's. gas station <laughs> convenience stores. So before we get into your new record, whenever yeah. we have a first time guest, it's always interesting to hear about how they got their start in music and and at what point did that lead to you, know, you going? Well, I'm just going to be the front person in my own band. Yeah. So for me, it was pretty simple. Like I told you guys before off, off air, um, I grew up in Wisconsin. So I grew up in the country. I graduated from a mm-hmm. class of 62. Um, I grew up like eight miles from my town. So like we lived like we were in the sticks in the cornfields. Mm-hmm. I wasn't in the sticks. I was in the cornfields. Mm-hmm. So 
when I was a kid, it was just all about playing outside, going fishing, doing all that kind of stuff. And when I was, I would say nine or 10, I started to get into classic rock, but I'd never thought about playing it. I just loved the way it sounded. So like, I was obsessed, man. I used to like record like tape to the radio, whether it was Led Zeppelin, Black Sabbath, whatever it was, I was on the radio, Skinnered, And it was like, I would have that and never thinking I was going to play music. And then, you know, I got to that age, like most kids, when you're like 13, 14 years old, where it's like, am I going to do sports? What am I going to do? You know, like a lot of my friends were getting guitars and I was like, yeah, that's cool. But I don't want to play the guitar like all the all the uh, the cool stuff is in the drums, because whenever I listen to a great band, it's all about the drums and the rhythm and it's more active. So my brother's friend had a drum set sitting in his basement. And I said, hey, man, can I borrow it? I take it home. We get it home in my brother's car. And I start jamming along with the radio. You know, I'm, I'm trying to play like, since we're doing Southern Rock, I was doing like, I was trying to play along to like Simple Man and, mm-hmm. you know, like random stuff, whatever. And my dad, who was a construction worker, walks in the basement after work. He hears me playing. And he literally, it was the one time he ever was like, no, <laughs> not happening. <laughs> no drums. And I, looked at him, I was like, dad, what do you mean? And he's like, dude, I don't work from 4.30 a.m. to 5.30 at night and come home to listen to you bang drums. He's like, get a guitar. It's got a volume knob on it and you can take it with you. <laughs> and it, like for like two weeks, I sulked about it. And I was like, all right, I'll try a guitar. I said, but I'm going to play electric. And then uh, I got an electric guitar, like a starter pack. And man, I instantly fell in love. There's a few things though, like I'm a lefty. So mm-hmm. when I'm writing, when I'm, eating whatever I'm with my left hand and playing guitar I wanted to play lefty but at the store they didn't have a lefty and then my first you know my when I got the guitar it came with a a free lesson and the guy's like dude you're playing righty he's like I'm not going to sit here and try and teach you backwards (laughs) so I started to play with my fingers because it felt better than a pick I could never get along with a guitar pick so like I just did that because it felt right and um you know then I was just playing and it was like, I went from practicing like a half hour to like 40 minutes to like two hours. By the time I was like 16 going on 17, I was playing guitar for like 10 hours a day, like wow. fully obsessed. And my parents like, bless them. They were like, what's wrong with our son? Like <laughs> I instantly was transfixed. And most people would say, oh, he's into music. That means he's going to be into bad stuff. In reality, I was sitting in the basement or, you know, sitting out in our barn, like practicing guitar all the time. I was not obsessed. doing anything. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So flash forward, um, when I was 17, I went to a program. My mom, actually, she said, hey, there's this uh, program you can apply for at Berkeley College of Music in Boston. And it's like a five-day program. And if you apply and you get in, I think it was like, I think she paid like a thousand bucks for me to go to this program, which, had, you know. Yeah, that's a pretty deal. good sum. Yeah. Yeah, man. And I couldn't believe it. So I got into this program. And while I was there, I was loving it, you know, just playing guitar, meeting other guitar nerds like myself. And they said, hey, would you be interested in um, coming in to try and do a scholarship for the school? You know, I'm 17. You know, I had no plans uh, of going to college or doing anything yet. I was just so obsessed with guitar. I said, yeah, sure. So I walked into a room at Berkeley. It was the last day of this camp. And there was like, there was four people sitting there in these like folded chairs and they're like, 
can you play us a, a minor scale? And I was like, bing, 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 you know? And then can you play this chord? Can you do this? And they said, just play us a song. And I remember I played them um, Lenny by Stevie Ray Vaughan. So anyways, I go home. Two weeks later, a note arrives. Hey, you got a, a scholarship to Berkeley. And I was like, wow, I guess I'm going to Berkeley. So I go, I'm there for six months. And it was like, I was learning how to conduct. I was learning how to play piano. I was learning how to write like jazz harmony. It was everything that I didn't want to do. <laughs> so, so what do you do at that age? You just drop out, right? So I dropped yeah. out. And my mom was like, no. You know, like I dropped out, found myself back in Wisconsin thinking about what am I going to do? And now at this point I was doing landscaping and basically just playing my guitar in a cover band. Yeah. And I remember um, talking to my parents and they're like, what are you going to do? I was like 20 at this point. I said, I got to try a different city. I got to go where the music is. And I thought about Austin. I thought about even Chicago because that was close, New York or LA. And I decided on LA because I was like, man, Los Angeles, it's a big city. The weather's pretty good out there. Now, I didn't know anything about California. I didn't know anything about, you know, how crazy that city is. And I was like, yeah, that'll be great. So save up all my pennies from five months of working this landscaping gig to get an apartment in Hollywood. It's the cheapest apartment I could find. And I remember walking around like, all right, I'm going to figure this out. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, and um, I end up going and entering this contest like two weeks after I'm there. It's called the Les Paul Tribute Contest. Mm -hmm. So I entered this contest with 30 other players, 29 other players, and the winner gets a brand new gold top. They get like a year supply of D'Addario strings, a featuring guitar player magazine, all this stuff. And I was like, I looked at the flyer and I was like, I'm going to win. So I go, I do it. And I won. Wow. I'm nice. trying to give you guys like the, the short end of the story. because <laughs> No, that's cool, man. Wow. What year was that? I was in 2011. Okay. End of 2011. So okay. check this out. So the judges were um, Carl Verheyen, the guitarist from Super Tramp, the editor of Guitar Player Magazine. There was a like someone there from Gibson, D'Addario Strings, all this stuff. And there was this one guy there and he owned a studio in LA and he was a, a judge. And this is, you guys will love this. So I do this contest. I'm holding this gold top, right? And I'm like, holy shit. Can I swear on here? Yeah. Yeah. Please. We well, yeah, have sponsors. Don't worry. <laughs> Holy shit. Like I just won this and I got a year supply of free strings. That's like telling someone that smokes cigarettes, like, dude, you got a year supply of my right, bunch of cartons. You're like, dude, I'm in. So um I they said, Hey, you know, did you want to go out for dinner with us? There I am, a guy living off ten dollars right. a day. I'm like, Yeah, of course I want to go to dinner with you. So I go to this dinner and I'm sitting next to this guy that owns a studio. His name's Phil. And he says, hey, man, here comes a part for your story where it's, or your question. Hey, man, when can I hear your band play? I was like, dude, I don't have a band. I just moved here. And he goes, huh. He's like, do you sing? And I was like, a little bit. And like by sing, I mean, I play like at an open blues jam and I'll sing if no one else wants to sing. And then it was like, well, do you have any songs? It's like, yeah, I got a few riffs. And he said, well, I'll tell you what, I own a studio here in Hollywood called Swing House. Why don't you get some guys and you guys can come when there's some off time and just jam and come check out the studio. And for me, it was like the door opening that much. And I was like, I'm in. So I immediately found two guys to jam with, two guys from Sweden that I'd met um, through a friend. 
And we went to his studio and we started jamming in the off time. It would be like a Sunday morning at 9 a.m. Saturday nights, you know, when no one else would book the studio. Right. So the first time I go in the studio, I was like, wow, this is like a real studio. Like, I remember like, this has nothing to do with like Southern rock or the shit we love, but like Marilyn Manson was there in a room. And I was like, whoa. And then at one point, this band, uh, it, like Incubus was there, all Red Hot Chili Peppers, stuff like that. And I'm like, this is crazy. And the dam broke when we were jamming. And I was like, all right, we're going to be a band. And they're like, well, who's going to sing? And I was like, you guys sing? And they're like, no. I was like, <laughs> I'm going to be the singer. But I don't want to have to deal with someone mm-hmm. if we get somewhere and I have a, a, an Axl Rose or I have someone that's, you know, like we all know the story, right? Where it's like, you, you build up, you build up. And then that voice is, it's everything. So I was like, even if it's the worst voice in the world, I'll do it. And um, then the, the whole end of that story is one night we were jamming in there. This was about two months after we started and someone opens the door and, I, and like goes, who the hell are you? I was like, who is that? It was Steven Tyler. Oh, and like Steven Tyler, American Idol era. So he walks in, he's got feathers in his hair. Yeah. And he goes, who the hell are you? And he goes, you know how to play Sweet Emotion? And I'm like, hell yeah, dude. <laughs> we start, you know, and he starts singing. And I'm like, this isn't happening. <laughs> then he goes, hey, man, we're making a record in the back. Come hang out. And I noticed this story sounds so far-fetched, but it's true. So for about six months, I got to hang out and watch Aerosmith make their last record. Oh, wow. Cause I was, That's I was like, awesome. yeah, man. I was like a fly on the wall. They, they just, they were so stuck. Like they were so happy that I was like into that music, you know, mm-hmm. and I was a young, young guy. Yeah. And they said, just come watch. So you guys, I would sit back there all day and they had a, uh, they had a table like catering table. Right. And <laughs> they'd be like, yeah, just eat what you want. So I'd walk in in the morning, I'd make a call, you know, I was like a fly on the wall. But I was just watching everything, learning. And that's how I got to meet and become friends with, you know, those guys. And uh, it was that was that experience, though, that that tipped it over the edge. Because once that happened, I said, there's no way I'm going back home. There's no way I'm, I'm you know, and living in Hollywood, it's kind of rough living, you know. And, mm-hmm. and I was like, there's no way I'm going to go through all this just to go back home with my tail between my legs. Mm-hmm. So then I started booking gigs. And that's the rest is the rest is the rest. When, when did you move to Nashville then? So what happens in between there from LA to Nashville? So I stayed in LA until September of 2019. Really okay. what happened was wow. we started touring, right? My friend had a Subaru Outback. That was our first tour mobile. So we nice. go up the coast. We go like LA to Fresno, Fresno to Sacramento, Sacramento to Portland and back. We did that a few times. And then our first, here's here, this wraps it into Southern rock. Our first big break, we got to play at Sturgis. I got an offer to play at Sturgis through a friend at the Buffalo chip. We we're going to play the parking lot stage the day Skinner was going to play. Oh, right? wow. So I'm stoked, but here's the funny part. You guys, I'm playing the parking lot where all the bikes drive in. Right. So that like we're jamming out there and it's just and they're just driving right by us like, yeah, what's up? So (laughs) we're playing and all of a sudden this guy walks over and now we drove that Subaru all the way from California to South Dakota. So like drove straight there 
And I mean, we were borrowing money from our parent, whatever, whoever had cash to get gas. And also this guy comes over and he's in a Leonard Skinner crew shirt. And he's looking at me like, like he looks like he's pissed off. It's like, fuck, is this guy mad at me? Then all of a sudden another guy walks over and they're just watching us play. And like three songs later, Ricky Medlock walks over. And I was like, whoa. And then Gary Rosington walks over and they're watching us play. And I was like, no way is this happening. So this would have been, at this point, we'd been slugging it out for probably about a year, you know, trying to do shows, do all this. This was our first one where it was like, well, this just happened. So after we play, that guy, that first guy, his name is Steve, who's since passed on, He, the, their tour manager, he goes, hey, man, you know, kind of the same vibe as Steven. He goes, the guys, you don't know, want to meet you. You sound great, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, the reason I came over here is he said, you know, someone was playing, uh, what did he, someone was playing Stranglehold and it sounded like the record, but it was a little different. And I was like, yeah, that was me, whatever. And uh, I go back there and I meet those guys and they basically say, Hey, um, what do you got going on? I said, nothing. I said, the only thing I have going on is I have like 10 shows booked in Europe in like a month. And it would be the first time I'm so excited. And they said, Hey, we're going to Europe too. They're like, when are your mm -hmm. dates? I was like, oh, I'm going to be there May 10th through the 20th. And they said, well, it'd be cool if you open some shows for us over there. Wow. So I went nice. from, in Europe, we're playing cafes and yeah. uh, small little baby rock clubs. Like I'm talking like 80 people in there and it's like, you know, fire hazard to <laughs> opening uh, Palais de Sports in Paris or these huge arenas for Skinnerd, five shows. So that was the kickoff. And then all of a sudden, like through that, I was able to get a, um, an agent that all of a sudden was like, well, who's this guy? He's opening up for Skinnerd. He's got this going on. And then we got an agent. And then the next thing I know, I have a tour booked with Glenn Hughes, the bass player from Deep Purple. Yeah, yeah. And then after that, I have a tour booked with Blue Oyster Cult. And now I have a tour booked with uh, Saxon and UFO. Oh my and gosh. Yeah, man. I mean, I had tours booked Zach Wild. I went on with Black Label Society for four months. I was out with them. That's how I knew it was your birthday. He, tw he tweeted at you. Oh, cool. <laughs> I love Zach. I call him dad. Um, <laughs> Let's see. You guys both play guitar and work out a lot. So how do you guys yeah. not get along? Oh, dude, it's so funny. Yeah. I, I mean, that's a whole nother story. Yeah. Every day we're, po we're, uh, we're hitting each other with, with funny stuff. But um. So that was it, man. That's how that kind of happened. And then I found myself in this circle where I was just touring, touring, touring. And at this point, I'd released one record right before the Skinner thing. And then I was touring constantly. Flash forward to like 2017, it was like, I got to put something else out. So that's when I put out the next record. And then come 2019, where we were living in Hollywood was getting so bad. And my wife, girlfriend at the time, we've been together for 16 years now oh wow she, yeah I, I met her uh yeah we were like 18 years old and uh she's like they're alone all the time and we had a lot of friends that were moving to Nashville so I was like listen I got like six more weeks on tour start packing we're going to Nashville because it was just getting bad and yeah. uh and then we moved September 2019 and I remember thinking to myself geez I hope I'm making the right decision by moving and then COVID hit like yep. six months later. And I was like, I am so glad we are here. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yeah. So going back to that story, I have so many questions. So many questions. Sorry, you guys, I'm talking so much. I feel so bad. No. <laughs> Listen, people are listening to this not to hear us talk. Trust me. Like we like when people tell stories, but like there's so many good pieces. I'm going to start with recent stuff. When you go from playing a show with 80 people at a club to opening for Skinner, which I'm assuming mm-hmm. five, six, seven, eight thousand people, what is that like? Because that is such a short transition. Oh, it was so crazy. I remember doing sound check and it was so funny because like now I'm saying those clubs fit 80 people. Yeah. There was maybe 30 people there. You know what I mean? And yeah. uh, I remember doing the sound check with Skinner and they're like, we'll take kick drum, you know, like to the drummer. And he hits it and it goes, he hits it once and it goes, boom, 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 boom. And I was like, and I hit my guitar. Wah, uh, uh, and I was like, oh my, this is the arena setting on my amp. <laughs> <laughs> So it was, it was kind of mind blowing. And then just to be there and playing in front of that many people, especially like at that moment, I was just like, this isn't happening. And the best part of that story is the last night I befriended Ricky and Gary. And uh, the last night Gary comes up to me right after we get off stage and he goes, Hey man, you're jamming with us tonight. I'm like, what? And like, he's like, we'd like have a shot of Jack. And he goes, you're coming up on sweet home, man. It's the encore. Oh, and I'm like, and we're at MHP Arena in Germany. And let me see, boys, because it's is it on YouTube. Going. Oh, it is. Yeah. But um, I got to see the capacity. Because. OK, yeah. Um, what does it say? Let's see. OK, yeah. So it's 9000. Sold out. Wow. So we're there and you, I'm in the locker room like a kid with my phone going bring, bring, ding, and making sure I know all the parts because I don't know what part I'm playing. That's the right. thing, right? There's so many guitar parts. And uh, so I'm going through it all. And I'm like, I can't believe this is happening. And I walk out there, man. And that was the moment that I was like, damn, they plugged me into this big ass Marshall hundred watt. And I just, you know, and then we're in the guitar line and uh, Ricky looks at me, and goes, take the solo. I was like, nobody fucking told me I had to take the solo. <laughs> like, I love it, but oh my God, you know? So I go up there, I just start ripping. And that was a really cool moment. But it was surreal. Well, first I of all, can you, like, maybe one of the guest story, best guest stories I've heard doing this so far. But I had a question about like uh, going from LA to Nashville. I'm not going to ask you specifically what was bad about that. But did you find uh natural to be just as musically accommodating with people to jam with um just because we had damon johnson speaking of skinner on the show on the podcast and he said nashville has everything you need yes so do do you see the two cities as really different in that way or one better than the other or the same well i'd have to say first off i'm really glad that i made the transition from la to nashville so i understood what the contrast was because when I was moving to Los Angeles, I was thinking, man, this is going to be music everywhere. This is going to be it, right? In LA, the easiest way I can say it is LA is like, a, it's an entertainment town. Movies, actors, models, blah, blah, blah. Everybody knows everybody. It's all about who you, whatever. The, the thing that I noticed when I moved to Nashville was it's way more community driven. It's way more of, it's like a little big town. Like, mm-hmm. The circles are very, very um, open. Whereas in Los Angeles, you know, it's like, who do you know? And why am I talking to you? That was more of the vibe there. Mm -hmm. Um, 
it's so collaborative here in Nashville that I remember like the one of the first days I was here, someone goes, hey, man, you should meet my friend. He's really into blues rock. And I think you guys would gel. And I almost took a step back and I was like, what does this guy want from me? In my L.A. mindset, I'm going like, you're, you're trying to get over on me. And the guy was genuinely like, no, my friend's into the same stuff, you know. So the thing that I notice is the music, although, yes, you could think, oh, it's country. It's all country. It's not. There's so many people here. I mean, it's pop, pop headquarters. Absolutely. And there's, yeah. So like the thing I love about Nashville is it's truly a guitar town. It's, it's still people that play. And when I moved here, I realized I was like, wow, this, this city's alive with music. And that's the cool part about Nashville. I always say compared to LA is it's music driven. It's not like an entertainment city, you know, mm -hmm. and people here. Yeah. Everyone's out to get their own, but it's a little bit more of a, um, a peaceful version instead mm -hmm. of in LA where it was just like cutthroat revolving door of people. And you're just like, you're just trying to survive. You know what I mean? Yeah. People. Are more so on I got a question. Here. What's that? I was going to say people are more on the take in LA. Absolutely, man. And I mean, everybody's it's, got an angle. Everyone's, it seems like the everyone's like got an angle or there's a certain sense of it's everything's transactional it's, it's like cool clicks and people like, and business or yeah and it's like what are you gonna do for me like yeah. and like there's a lot of times where i would see things that like people were saying were so cool or like oh check out this hot new band it's so-and-so's son some famous actor and you go listen to the band and you're like this is horrible <laughs> and it's like yeah but do you know who's kid that is and i'm like yeah i Who cares <laughs> am i supposed to care because like that's not why i got into music you know i because i love you know and even me being what which was a good thing because i was so passionate that in la i kind of stuck out like a sore thumb in the guitar community because i was doing something so different from a lot of the people there but um yeah the easiest way to say it man it's so transactional out there and there's just like people are super fake and like, you can just see it from a mile away and you're just like, damn, even if they're fake in Nashville and they're wearing a cowboy hat, at least they're not going to try and like stab you in the back the first day. You know what I mean? <laughs> so going back to uh, your time in the studio and with Aerosmith and all that, which Aerosmith's one of my favorite bands of all time. Love those, love, Dude. love those guys. Hey, check this out. you like this, man. Uh-oh. Joe what we got? What do we got? Joe goes, he was the guy that was like, yeah. I was playing like uh, a shitty like flying V copy, and he goes, "You need yeah. a Les Paul. You need a Les Paul." And he brought a Les Paul out of the back for me to play a Les Paul. So that was like when I was like, "All right, I'm playing a Les Paul." But this was Joe's. Oh, the Beam and Fuzz unit. Yeah. So he said that he had this from like the early '70s. There's a bunch of stuff here that he just gave me. <laughs> cool stuff. Didn't need any more, man. Yeah. So kind of cool. Since you're a big Aerosmith fan. Hell yes. So first awesome. concert I ever saw was Aerosmith. Sorry, with Guns N' Roses <laughs> opening up in '87. Wow, that's awesome. So I that's really awesome. have to compliment you because how keeping grounded and keeping your head about you when you got Joe Perry and Gary Rossington, Ricky Medlock, you know, of course Steven Tyler. Like, how do you stay on the earth? How do your feet stay grounded oh and you don't get like I'm Mr. Cool Guy? you know you're obviously very humble and grateful and yeah the way the way that i look at it really is 
like I was saying before, like I didn't get into, I feel like at heart, I'm still just the blue collar dude from Wisconsin. Like, Mm -hmm. and I've worked hard and love what I do. So it's taken me down different avenues. I never thought I'd go down. But the thing that I think I love about a lot of these guys is truly at heart, whether it's like those guys are like Billy Gibbons or Zach Wild or any of these people that I really like look up to that have kind of like helped me out. They all still have that. They love the music like we love the music. And yes, there is that element of like, they are rock stars and like, you know, that whole thing. But I never got that vibe from them. Even when I'm sitting there like chatting with these guys, it's like we're bonded by the love of the music and we're both just humans. You know what I mean? Um, I noticed that in the thing I always try and do is, is not let any of this seep into any other area of my life because it's just a waste of time. I meet people like that, man. And I am not a fan. There's people that are like big timers and you're just like, I don't know. I just never liked big timers. And after living in LA for so long, I was like, I'm just going to be me and either people are going to like it. Mm -hmm. And if you don't, that's cool too. It's that Midwestern sensibilities that all of us have here on this, on this podcast right now. Just totally, man. (laughs) So what did you learn from watching Aerosmith in the studio that kind of, that you incorporate now with when you're recording or playing? Oh man. Like the energy, the passion, because those guys in the studio, when they were there, like it was serious, man. Like they were having fun, but it was serious. Like Steven was driving that bus and he was going in there and he would have an idea. He'd be sitting in the control room and all of a sudden he'd run out there to go sing something or to, to, you know, sit on the piano and figure it out. I remember him coming up saying, Hey, you got a car here. And remember I told you about my buddy Subaru. I was like, yeah, Mm -hmm. you got the Subaru. And he goes, does it have a CD player? I'm like, yeah. He goes, he pulls out like a burn CD. Come on, let's go. And we'd sit in there, turn it all you the way You sat up. in a Subaru, an old Subaru with Steven Tyler and listened to his rough cut of an album. Absolutely. Oh, man. <laughs> Dude, I, and I, I don't say this like, like you guys will like this next part. So through all that, Joe's son, his name's Tony Perry. He became one of my best friends. He's like right yeah. around my age. So this record I made, the second record, Black Magic, mm-hmm. um, I was like, man, I don't have a studio to cut it at. You know, like Swing House was like being used. Everything was... And, and at this point I was off, off the road and he goes, well, my dad is staying at uh, Johnny's house. We could probably use Johnny's studio. And I'm like, Johnny. Yeah. Oh, Johnny Depp. Okay, cool. <laughs> Johnny Depp. <laughs> so we cut that record. I'd say 75% of it at Johnny Depp's home studio where they were cutting all of the Hollywood vampires and all yeah. that. stuff. It was pretty crazy. You're mentioning Aerosmith and Joe Perry's son, and here's where probably I'm going to get into, you know, heard of some of the people you've toured with or whatever, but he would have been much younger than if you'd met him, but either then or now, you know, Graham Whitford, so Tyler Bryant. Of course, you're friends, friends with Tyler Bryant, aren't you? Absolutely. I love those guys. Actually, we co-wrote a song on the record together. Wow. Me Which one? Graham and Tyler called Hardwired. It's on my 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 record i love yeah, those you're jared james nichols yourself tough probably why you're here to talk to us if we ever get fucking get to it <laughs> yeah those guys were on too it was totally cool love them badasses and um, uh you toured with the georgia thunderbolts right yes i toured with the thunderbolts with uh blackstone cherry yeah there you go oh. yep, yep, yep that was killer too. Our... i mean i th- 
everyone you guys just named all awesome it's it's awesome when bands become friends you know what i mean mm -hmm. like it's like oh yeah yeah they play in that band it's like but they're also your friends you guys know how that feels right before i get to jason uh, i took a zoom bass lesson from steve jewel whoa that's awesome yeah that's cool steve rocks dude yeah yeah he's like, awesome he came from Otis over to, to uh, Blackstone Cherry, and then the Thunderbolts have been our guys for a while. Like we, we talked to them, Brian, when they were still recording out with uh, the Headhunters before the first record came out. Mm -hmm. So like awesome. all it, we've had Tyler Bryan on twice, and Tyler and Graham on one. Like it's like this whole whole young rock movement. I'll call it. Is that kind of what you're seeing? Yeah, you guys are you guys are championing champ championing that's the right word champion waving the flag man waving, waving the, flag the flag for all of the awesome young because i think a lot of people unless for people like you that are going to put that out there and show that it's hard to say where are these where's that that sound i love yeah with, with some fresh air and you guys are doing that and i love that man whether it's the thunderbolts shakedown guys obviously blackstone cherry even even bands like you know that for the classic rock flag like the guys in Dirty Honey, there's a lot yep. of great um, young bands that are either I don't even want to say coming up because a lot of them are already established in their certain yep. in their own ways. But there's just a lot of great bands that are um, that are out doing it now, and I, I I love to be a part of that in my own little way. If that makes sense. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you're you're definitely part of that movement, playing with a lot of those same acts, and like really a you know a name for that, but. Brian kind of started this podcast to help kind of get the name <laughs> kind of kind of Brian started this podcast, but with with the intention of helping, like sharing mm -hmm. the love of the type of music that he likes, where you're not going to hear that. a lot about too many other places. I love that. And I think that it's so important that it is talked about because it's it's almost as if now um, like Southern rock, even like classic rock, if I can say that, that sound is like an underdog and for mm -hmm. outlets like this it really helps it get and it gets us excited too like you know as the the ones making the music to know that there still is outlets for this but also that um it's still alive and well it's just you need to go for it you need to search for it a little bit and there's a lot of really really good bands out there i mean them dirty roses who we've had on before totally. we've had the dirty honey guys on before um who am I missing, Brian? We had like a whole, like we've had from veteran nostalgia acts to new people, you know, the Amazing. Damon Johnsons and Junkyard and oh yeah, Charlie Starr a couple of times from Blackberry Smoke, one of our absolutely favorite people and favorite bands. It's awesome, man. And, and that every name you just rattled off, like it's uh, such a, you know, it's all of like, it's like the pieces of the, the puzzle we love. You know what I'm trying to say? Like mm -hmm. all those little... And especially for the young guys and the, the young artists, I think that um, what you guys do is so great. Thank you. Yeah. And we appreciate Brian for that because I would not know 90% of the bands that I know right now and love if it wasn't for him and his podcast and having me do whatever the hell I do on this podcast. I'm not <laughs> sure what that is. I just did a, do you guys, are you familiar with the band uh, De Wolf? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I just did some shows with them in Europe about Ooh. three weeks ago fantastic they would be yeah, they're more band. of a harder edge band aren't they you know you'd be surprised it was a lot more i would i would put it in the vein of black crows 1993 okay, okay. I know that really? Really random, but like um 
they they had a like a full band with uh, horns and backup singers. Really? Yeah, yeah but that's not who I'm thinking of. Then I'm gonna have to look them up. Like they, Brian and I are huge Crows fans. Like Southern Army, America. Yeah. You need to hear this. Daywolf. It's D E W O L F. And for some reason, I thought they were more like hard rock, but okay. All right. Check check out this latest record. I mean, I'm not sure what the previous releases have been, but yeah. um, another great young band that gets it. You know what I mean? They get it more than just, hey, here's a riff. Like like these guys, you can, you can always tell when people have listened. Like we all love mm-hmm. the same stuff and you're like, yeah. yep. Mm-hmm. You know, and I love that. So I go ahead, Brian. <laughs> uh, we want to get into like, raise our the, hands. the new record. Like when when did this mean from when it was a twinkle in your eye till completion? So the the real catalyst for the record was like most artists, when I got home, I was in Switzerland on March 11th, 2020. We were on our first headline oh. tour over there, our first real big one. I think it was six weeks. And um we got the call we had to get home so i got back to nashville and it was the first time i'd really spent any time there since moving because i'd been on tour so much and we ended up um like everyone like all of a sudden it was like a lockdown situation but the only thing i had still was my guitar to keep me happy so i was like man as long as i can play this is going to be you know I'll, I'll be able to get through this but what i noticed was i started writing songs like out of nowhere like I just started writing riffs and I was like, oh, this is cool. So I'd put them down like really innocently on like my voice memos on my iPhone. And then I go away I'd pick it up another day, whatever. But I started to get this idea because my previous releases before this record, I felt like I love them. You know, like they're, they're like my kids, but I always had a hard time capturing the energy of the live show, the energy that, that I have when I am playing it, even in front of a crowd. And obviously at this point, it wasn't viable for me to do a, a live show and record it. But what I kept thinking about is I want to make a record like my favorite records were made. I want to make a record to tape. I want to make a record like track live, just a bunch of crushing songs, the best songs I can write. And I just want to like try and capture that feeling. So this started, I would say, March of 2020, started writing songs didn't get in the studio man for a whole nother year year and a half to start going through it it was just one of those things where the drummer dennis i remember we were at the airport i was like i'll see you down at baggage claim i was living in nashville at this point mm-hmm. he was still in LA. he's a swedish citizen and i didn't see the guy for like a almost 14 months yeah so it was one of those things where like it took a while for us to get back on our feet for that but once we did, we went in the studio and we cut it straight to tape. We rehearsed for like two weeks straight and just- Oh, tape. So analog. All analog. So my whole- oh, record, shit. There was no computer used, period. Yeah. We went We went in with a, a guy named Eddie Spear, who's a great, he's like early thirties. I met him through the guys in the Rival Sons. Um, oh, great Jay, band. Yeah, awesome. Jay, the lead singer, he said, you need to work with Eddie Spear. Eddie is like, he's he got brought here from- he was like Jack White's guy. He worked with like uh, assistant engineer for Chris Stapleton and Brandy Carl, all these big names, but he loves the, the rock and roll and he loves all of that. He's like a genius. But anyways, we went in, we cut it to tape and it was awesome, man. It was awesome. Yeah, you can't make mistakes 
when you're doing the tape stuff, you can't really, you know, cut right into that thing. It was, it was like, we'd hear that we'd hear him rewinding the tape in our headphones. Right. We were all out on the yeah. floor and my amps here's, here's my amp tower. I don't know if you guys can see this. Let me switch it around. Oh yeah. Black star Marshall. What else we got there? We got uh Leslie West son, Coliseum PA. I got from Joe Bonamassa. Those oh, two wow. bottom ones in the top one, <laughs> but my rig guys, that was on 10. So like we were playing, like we were like at war and, and like <laughs> you would be rewinding the tape and my amps were just hissing like in the back. And all of a sudden he'd start the tape and he'd go, we're rolling. And we'd all look at each other. I swear. And we'd be like, and then Dennis, the drummer, and we were in, you know what I mean? So it was a cool experience to go to tape because like you said, you can't screw it up. No. And I, a little bit of additional edge to do that, but man, that album, this album, your self-titled album, it's a little unlike some of your other out records. And I don't know if it's more because of that energy and the sound of kind of like we we're talking about You're playing, like it's got more of a rock. I don't know how to describe, how would you describe it? It's definitely more rock. And I would say, the easiest way to describe it is it's a it's it's a lot simpler in terms of production than my other my previous releases but it serves as a live menu because truly what you're hearing is one guitar a bass drums and vocals there's yeah. nothing you know it's not like okay we're gonna lay the drums down and then we'll do six guitars over it you know what i mean so i think that adds to the the rockness of it and the urgency like we were in the room and it was like, no, you got to play motherfucker. So yeah. all those, all of those solos were in the room with the band. There wasn't anywhere. It's like, Hey man, I'll fix that solo later. It's like, no, everything we tracked together, Clark Singleton, the bass player, fantastic bass player. He would look at me during solos. We'd both have so much like sweat and he'd be gritting like, you know, like, are we going to get it? And you know, sometimes he crash and burn, but we had uh, so much fun. But I think that that energy and that simplicity in production, it made it more bare bones rock and roll. It, it definitely took the, the smoothness out. It was just yeah. like, it was punchy. And uh, yeah, when I listen to this record, it truly is like, it's it's pretty rocking. It's like a little yeah. di dynamite it, stick. It, it grabbed me when it, when it came out. I listened to the first day it came out and like, it definitely, it grabbed me right, right off the bat. I think it just kind of like hit you in the face. Yeah, I mean, and it's you're you're talking about the simple production, but it sounds big. so powerful and yeah. big. You know, it, it sounds like there's overdubs and stuff, but there's not. I mean, it just sounds so big. I'm so, yeah, I'm really I'm, proud of I'm that man. Production on that. Thank you, and that's why I went with the self-titled, you guys, because when when we made the record, you know, we made the record, and then it was we were thinking about it, and it's like, Jared, what are you going to call it? And I, I, I was like, man, I, I said in a meeting, I was like, are you guys, I just want to make it a self-titled record. Cause I feel like this is, this is me being able to stop and, you know, at the moment, like look at where I want to go, how I want to approach mm -hmm. it and move forward with it. And that's what felt right. Like this sonic sound, whether it's more mellow and bluesy or heavier, whatever it is, but this kind of playing and this kind of energy and essence I was like, man, I just want to self-title it. And everyone's like, Let's go. Let's go for it. Cool. So your playing style, you know, you, you talked about earlier when you're doing um, the contest and everything with your fingers. How, I mean, it's not easy to get that kind of sound with your fingers. Do you have a special technique or like, how do you, how do you get that 
that level of sound. Super glue? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> Super know, glue like, picks to my fingers. You can't see yeah. them. <laughs> so, yeah, I have a weird technique. Like, here, I'll, I'll hold the guitar because there's one right here. But, like, yep. when I'm playing the guitar, like, my thumb goes down. My index goes up on the string. Everything else goes up, right? So I have this weird kind of technique. So instead of alternative picking, you're using your thumb and your forefinger to do it. Yep, yeah, my thumb and my index. Or I can use three or four, you yeah. know, together. So I have this really weird style that is, it's kind of like, it's like Jeff Beck meets Derek Trucks meets like a grizzly bear because it's yeah, like. Cause it, it, cause yeah, like Derek, Truck, like a little bit, he does the same thing with the sum and stuff, but I think he's probably hitting different strings for the slide and stuff. And you're kind of like yes. alternative, alternative picking on that whole thing. Yeah. So that style, like I said, it derived from um, me being a lefty. Right. But yeah, what I noticed was in the beginning, it was really tough on my hands. I mean, I remember one of those Skinner shows, man, I broke a nail. I know that sounds yeah. funny to say I broke a nail. But when I, when I say I broke a nail, like I ripped my whole nail off. Because oh. I used to try and think that in order to have more of an attack and a, a more of a punch. Right, use the nail. Yeah. The nail. And I remember going, right? And I swear to you, I looked up and I just felt it. You know, like when you stub your toe really bad and you, yep. it's like, I think I just broke my toe. That's basically what happened with my nail. And I looked down and the whole nails flipped up and I was like, oh boy. So the rest of the show I had to use, you know, my, my <laughs> other fingers. But so I stopped doing that. And I just said to myself, okay, I'm going to use, I'm going to develop the calluses and I'm just going to try and do that. And I'm so glad that I did that because in turn, it was like, I was able to kind of shape the sound in a different way because I feel like my sound, it's, um, it's not very bright. It's mm -hmm. more of a mid-range punchiness, right? Mm -hmm. But um, the more I develop it, it's like the more it kind of like melds in. And I don't know, it's it's different because I do use a lot of attack. It's a yeah. lot of attack. Yeah. It's like, I don't feel it anymore. It's not, it doesn't bother me. Yeah, because like to me, and Brian, you probably, you could you wouldn't pick out that he wasn't using a pick when you're listening to how, mm -hmm. what his guitar yeah, sounds no like. Idea. Yeah. I kind of, it's almost like, um, I would say it's like, you know, like when you're using a rake or like a, a, let's say you had to like split wood and it's like your hands probably for a long time, you'd have the worst blisters mm -hmm. after a while. Yeah, it's like hard. Yeah. Yeah. Then after a while, you're just like, nah, dude, it's, it's good. Now it took probably 10 years for my fingertips to get like that. Yeah. I can feel them you guys. And I can feel them, <laughs> but I swear to you, I, I definitely probably have maybe. 60% of feeling in the finger. So how long can you put your hand down on the stove before you feel it? <laughs> oh my God. Could you imagine? <laughs> um, man, I, I used to try super glue, duct tape. Yeah. You know, do you guys uh, know Eric Sardinas? I've heard the name, no. yeah. yeah. So he was kind of coming up when I was like about to move to LA. Fantastic slide blues guitar player, almost in the Johnny Winter resonator tradition. I don't really think he plays a lot anymore, but go back. If you have any time, Eric Sardinas, like rock plast, like 2000. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. The whatever that European show. Yeah. The German TV show. Yeah. Just type in go. Eric Sardinas, like that era. Oh five to Oh seven. This motherfucker had no shirt, cowboy hat resonator. Like, like he looked like he was like, uh, uh, like a comic book character, like muscle, like 
he was crazy. But I remember I did a show with him. It was up in Wisconsin. It was right before I left for LA. And he shows up with his band and he's getting ready for the show and he pulls his guitar out and his guitar is fucked. Like he tunes it and like the strings are this high up and I, he let me play it, you know? And I was like, wow, this is crazy. Also, I'm like an underage kid. He goes, want some Jack Daniels? And I'm like, sure. <laughs> so then uh, I remember I'm watching him play and he uses um, like metal picks, right? Like thumb pick. Yeah. He's literally pulls out this whole kit and he's like, got like tape and he's wrapping up tape and then and then he puts like the box it's like a boxer getting ready for the ring and like he's got tape all over his fingers and man he was still bloody and whatever but for a while i used to think oh i should do that but man i'm just better when it's just nothing in the way you know what i mean can you use a pick a little not i mean <laughs> how do you strum like if you're just taking like an acoustic guitar and strum and use a pick or use your fingers I use my fingers, but it's like this, like, like literally, like if I were to strum. Yeah. It's like thumb, thumb index fingers. Yeah. You probably can't hear this, but a little bit. That's that like, is a nice P90 gold top right there, man. This is one of the first Les Pauls ever, man. It's what, oh my Lord. Look at early that 1952. Oh, it's got some nice wear on the back of it, like belt rash or buckle rash. This guitar was in a tornado. Before see, you. I don't know if you can see it. The lights. Yeah. Changed, but I could see where the heel is. Yeah. So this guitar was given to me. Um, the original owner's daughter claimed it on her insurance. He found it in his yard after a tornado. <laughs> all, of this, all of this is original, right? Wow. This is not original. Okay. This is yeah. not. That was ripped off the guitar. But this is one of the earliest examples of a Les Paul one of the first batch of the first 200 yep. and uh i got it rebuilt with a new neck but um long story short yeah this is dorothy man it was in a tornado and you can see some of the the dings yeah they're like legit chunks out of the guitar but then some of it's just me it's got but a yeah, lot of sto is... stories yeah i'm all about the stories guys you guys are like this guy's full of shit no, you, no way you've never had like the original owner or anybody else claiming to be like hey that was my guitar <laughs> well what's funny is i did a uh they have this have you guys seen those rig rundowns yeah oh yeah yeah, they're yeah. Awesome. yeah so i was an idiot on this rig rundown there the my buddy john he's like oh i bring out the guitar i say yeah this guitar was found in a tornado or after a tornado and it was given to me the guy he knew who i was and he said hey i know you like les paul's you know, maybe you can get it rebuilt, blah, blah, blah. And he liked the idea of me having it. So he gave it to me. What I forgot to say is that he took almost two and a half years to find the original owner whose guitar it was. And it was this, uh, the, the original owner's daughter had the guitar. It got claimed on her insurance, right? So she said to him, well, it's not really a guitar anymore. So I already got what it's worth. Just hang it on your wall. But I forgot to say that. So all of a sudden on social media, I had a guy from Peru, someone from oh England, uh, like three different people across America saying, "There, uh, the guy, the guy in Peru is the best." So he's like, "Hello, sir. There was a storm, and I lost my guitar. I can give you a <laughs> lot of money for this guitar, but I want my guitar back." But it was just so funny. But yeah, the hell of a storm to move a guitar from South America to North America. <laughs> I had to laugh and I screenshotted that. I was like, this is gold. This is great. <laughs>
Is that your number one? That's one of them. Yeah, that's okay. one of them. Um, I got a few guitars that are near and dear to me. Um, but that that guitar, when I got it back from my friend who fixed it, uh, he goes by JW Restoration. Mm-hmm. I wasn't thinking that it was going to turn into like number one. Yeah. But when I plugged it in, it, it told me, you know, it sounds like all of my favorite records. Simply I love like, Gold Tops and yeah. P90s and a Gibson. Or I, I talked to this with everybody that plays Gibson. Something about a P90 and a Gibson, man. Man, I'll tell you what, those those guitars, like that guitar, it's it sounds so good. It's scary good. So yeah, that is one of my They're favorites. Special. Yeah, my TVL is special over there. Um, we're going to start talking about guitars or else I'll start pulling all the guitars out. <laughs> <laughs> I have no problem with that. <laughs> uh, so I'll be honest with you. I have not watched your rig rundown yet because whether if I know we're going to interview somebody, I don't listen to podcasts like I haven't listened to you on the hooks rock, hook rocks yet or that because I don't want to spoil or poison my mind but i knew as soon as i'm done interviewing with you that's queued up to watch because i just watched one with charlie star and paul jackson yeah, yeah i've just seen new one, one you know too, yeah. with rich robinson yep. and mark four like just i love those but i'm like i'm not watching it until i'm done talking to you you'll like it because uh it's cool like when i did uh the rig rundown one of my friends he lives in mississippi he brought uh one of paul kossoff's les pauls that he owned. oh it's a 59 burst that he uh it's oh, one of the geez. last ones he owned but you should watch it. You'll 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 like it, man. There's some cool stuff on there. That 59 burst has got to be worth a couple hundred thousand. I, I want to say I can't. I don't know what he paid for it, but yeah. I would I would think that a guitar like that would probably because of its its provenance and everything that would probably fetch like a half a million at least. Yeah, Jesus Christ. Yeah, like I, uh... I was up there, dude. I was up there sweating on that thing like a pig. Just flipping on it like it, like you know, and the guitar loved it. I know it did. It was like, yes, I'm getting played. I don't think much like a car that costs that much. I don't think I would be comfortable handling something that like that. Uh, yet again, I've been lucky, man. I've been able to handle. Oh, go ahead, brother. Oh, for some reason, this reminded me of I just saw Rich Robinson. Uh, he's got like a a Martin signature, but the guy that was interview interviewing him like said that it reminded rich that he had said about Dwayne Allman's gold top that it's a dud mm-hmm. and, he, and rich is like i'm sorry it just you know so that's weird that some you know maybe to some people a guitar sounds great and you know because well, i know so many people have held that guitar or played it whatever so i played that guitar strange and, I, but i didn't plug it in or anything so i can't okay. i'm not going to speak about that guitar but the reality is there's been a lot. I've been lucky to have handled through friends and, and people. All of a sudden, it's like I got one buddy who is like a, a vintage guy, like, a you know, um, and all of a sudden, all these vintage guys start coming around. They come to shows. I'll bring a guitar or whatever. Some of these guitars, you guys, straight up are so mint and they're worth so much money that I'm like, you don't want me to play your guitar because... Mm-hmm. You have a 1959 Les Paul that has literally looks like it has maybe I could count on one hand how many surface level scratches are. I will put that guitar on and I will put a fucking dent in it today. <laughs> and then uh, like I remember my one buddy, Cesar, uh, he is uh, he runs Gibson and he had a 59. Yeah. And he, he looks at me, and goes, hey. I want you to play this guitar, but fucking take off your rings and shit, will you? I was like, yes, of course I will, you know. <laughs> 
uh, it's like take off your shoes in my house. But uh, a lot of those guitars that I played that are that price, they're not that price because of the way they play or the way they sound. It's just the provenance. So yeah, who's had them and everything. Speaking of your friends, he's he's done great things with Gibson the last few mm-hmm. years, just killing it, man. They're all even the stuff with Epiphone. Epif- oh, Epiphone's yeah. killing it. I can't believe how good it is, man. I mean, seriously, that company compared to where it was, you know, 20, yeah. I would say 2017, 18 to where it is now. It's like, holy shit. I'm, I'm just so I, I've been playing those guitars forever and I'm yeah. so lucky and happy to have the relationship I do with them. And um, yeah, they kill it. And I'm like you where I'll be sitting there at home and I'll have my phone open. I'll be like, it'll be like, new from you know um you know new from gibson today and i'm like what the hell is this one it's like this there's amazing shit coming out all the time and, and the quality and and you well first before i get into what i just got you have your own signature guitars yes i do they're right here let's see them let's, let's see, see them let's see them and they're single pickup Les paul epiphone right oh uh, yeah they totally are let's see i'm gonna i'm gonna see if this works so here's gold glory. Goldie, yeah. Right. All gold. This was the second version. Here's old glory. This was the first version. Oh, that look at that black too. That black's nice. Is, that, is, is that say custom made on it? Is that why the, the bridge? Yeah. What's that say? Yeah, okay. exactly. And then this one right here, this one's actually coming out in the fall. Okay. This one is a Pelham Blue version. Oh, the Pelham Blue, gorgeous! And this has my new Seymour Duncan uh, P90 I, I designed, which is you got that you know, dog ear P90. It looks like an actual. Is that a compensated bridge or just a regular wraparound? It's it's got that lightning got, bar yeah. bridge. Yeah, and so it does uh, have compensation on there. It does, yeah. And you know what? I find that they're pretty good, man. Yeah. Holy shit! So why single pickup and why P90? Well, uh oh. All right, I'm going to keep this light. (laughs) You know, since I do play with my fingers, I always felt like I had a different kind of tone out of the gate. And I don't mean that in a better way or, you know, it's just different. So for me, a P90 had all of the clarity and kind of the shimmer that I loved about like a a single coil, like a Stratocaster or whatever, Mm -hmm. where I could roll back my volume and I could get certain clarity, even at high gain roll it back but it also retained all of that bark and that punch that i got out of a humbucker when i used to play a regular les paul i would flip to the neck pickup and the way that i play sometimes it would sound so muddy and I'd well be like, yeah because it's already a warm and, and you get that dead in with your fingers oh, yeah i can uh-huh. see that yeah and i was yeah. like man this like you said it sounds dead like this isn't yeah. good but then i started to mess around with these p90s and i was like damn this is the shit because I can go from like a whisper to a scream and not a lot of guys play P90s. So when I'm playing P90s with someone that's playing, even if they're playing a burst, Les Paul or a Strat, I'm going to sit in my own area in the mix and kind of control it. And I love it because they're kind of rude. They're loud. They're aggressive. But um, Leslie West from Mountain, one of my favorite bands of all time, my favorite guitarist of all time, the way that he played, he played a P90. Um, He played a junior, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, Man, he just make that thing squawk and scream. And I just loved it. And there's just something really, really special about that pickup because 
as as guitarists and as humans we're always trying to advance i think the best thing that happened to the p90 was they went away from it after its original inception like no one was really some people were like yeah let's try and make a p90 better instead they were like oh let's make a humbucker cool so when you get a good p90 it's like it's the same recipe like no one messed that up you know what i'm trying to say yeah absolutely and i love that because like you were saying with your your uh p90 guitar it's like you're going to get that same kind of vibe out of a new p90 that you will out of an old one and there's once you learn how to use them and you command them there's just something awesome about them much more versatile than and i love humbucker guitars i've got a that's paul standard over there but like i the, I, the P90, the, the specials, what I primarily play with my band and stuff, it's just so much versatile. You can get the the bitey rock stuff or you can get the cleaner, nice, warmer, you know, more acoustic-y stuff if you need to. I love it, man. Love that pickup. Well, I'm looking forward to checking out your Pelham Blue and reading up about it, too. What what pickup did you say was in that one? That's actually a, a Seymour Duncan P90 that I was able to voice. So I okay. went and worked with them on like a voicing. And man, it is, I tried to capture basically the high and the low. So like, I was like, you know, since I played with my fingers, I want it to be as aggressive as possible on the top end, but then I can roll it back and get a great blues sound. And uh, I love it. The pickup sounds great. When you watch the rig rundown, you're going to hear it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. See, that's why I don't ruin it, Brian, when like going <laughs> into this stuff, because I don't want to um, gauge strings. What, what gauge you use? I'm simple. I used to use heavy strings and, and yeah. you know, the whole thing. Now I use 10 to 52. So okay. light yep. top, heavy bottom. For me, I love to bend. So these give me that strength where mm -hmm. I feel like I can put some power into them. And, you know, when we're touring all the time, the one thing I'll say to a lot of players that say, oh, you use light strings. It's like, if I'm playing every day for the next six weeks and I'm going for it, I don't want, you know, telephone wires on there it's like i want right. something that's going to be comfortable so yeah 10 to 52 what about your action you just keep it kind of what, what it comes out of the factory at or do you adjust any no i'm pretty medium i like a guitar that yeah. does fight a little bit when a guitar plays too easy or the strings are too low i feel like i don't know maybe i get a little spoiled and i'm like eh, whatever but when i gotta fight it a little bit that's when i feel like i'm i play at my best so i like like almost a medium almost high action okay I got you. Yep. Makes sense. And before I, I know Brian has a question or, sh or should, cause we're going off the rails of guitar <laughs> stuff. Speaking of Epiphone. Yeah. I just got the Joe Bonamassa 62 335. Oh yeah. And it is killer. And I got that because friend recommended that to me. I sold a Gibson SG to get it. And like, it's amazing. It's got a uh, burst bucker Gibson burst bucker pickups, hand wiring. It is. I like, epiphone is just killing it came with a hard shell case it sounds and plays amazing yeah i got to play one of those in indiana at a friend's store and uh i looked i played it and i swear i did the the look around i was like i played a few notes and i went what am i playing this is an epiphone First is that off, on video epiphone, but also what like did i is... see that on youtube is that on youtube probably i think i've yeah, seen there's that. i think there's a video of me playing one on youtube that guitar smokes dude Dude, it's crazy. I cannot believe how, even the, like the, the quality control, I know that it's made over in China and sometimes right. they're a little, but it, if you don't find a thing wrong with it, I did a little setup neck adjustment and stuff with it just because, you know, it ships overseas, but oh yeah, it screams. Sure. It is, I am so impressed. Like I've been playing that more than my, my uh, Les Pauls. That's awesome, man. Well, congratulations. Cheers on a good guitar. 
That, yep. And again, sold a Gibson to get an Epiphone. Who would have thought? <laughs> That's awesome. All right, Brian, I'm going to shut up about guitar stuff. Well, if I have a question, the question would be, Jason is at that time of the show. Uh, Jared, if it's if you're good with it, we're going to do our stupid lightning round questions for you. Boys, let's do it because if we don't, I'm going to keep talking and <laughs> you guys are going to get in trouble and it's going to be midnight. My wife's going to disown me. Let's do this. Okay. What's the first show that you played first show i played was a yeah, battle. Live. oh yeah battle of the bands in mcguanago uh mcguanago wisconsin it was called mcguanapalooza and i was so scared <laughs> i didn't face the crowd i was so nervous i was by the drummer like it was like a dog like where it was scared with its owner that was jim morrison oh dude and we filmed it on a vhs and they're like jared you need to turn around when you play that's why you guys didn't win and i was like shut up <laughs> What songs did you play or song? Uh, we had a song that was called Nothing. And it was literally. That was the only song we played. Nice. For about yeah, well. Five minutes. We played that same riff and one of our friends like screamed over it. I'm not going to say it was great, fellas, but uh, <laughs> hey, one starts somewhere. Whose first show ever is actually great. It's not possible. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> What is the first album, record, CD, tape, whatever, that you remember getting of your own? First one I remember getting, it's not the coolest, but it is what it is. Weird Al Yankovic, Dare to be Stupid. Yes. Oh, nice. My first record was Weird Al Yankovic in 3D. Dude, nice. My first show ever, Weird Al Yankovic. Uh, we were staying what? at a casino. Uh, I was with my parents, and me and my dad were walking through like the common area, and these guys were like, hey, do you want tickets to see the rest of the Weird Al show? And my dad looks at me. I was like, yeah, let's go. And we walk in and sure enough, there's Weird Al. And I'm like, probably seven years old. Like, yeah, you know, loved he it. He is legitimately a great musician. Legitimately. Yes. Like not even, I know he does the parody, but listen, if you're a shitty musician, you can't make a parody. Nope. And he can sing, play guitar, play accordion. He does it all. Weird Al rocks, dude. Weird Al rocks. And have you seen his movie on Roku? Not yet, but I need to watch it. Funny side note story. My wife, she was she was nannying in LA when we were there. And Weird Al would always go to the, the school with the kids that she nannied for. And she'd text me and be like, Weird Al's here and they're singing songs. <laughs> and he had kids parodies that he'd never recorded that he did just for the kids at the school. And I'm sitting there like at home and I'm like, Man, I really wish I was at that school. <laughs> you know, someone's going to say to her, get me an autograph. I'm like fiending over here. It, how, you know, it's got to be amazing if he's doing it. Yeah, she said it was, it was like the coolest thing ever. Like he was making the coolest parodies for these kids. And uh, she said he'd just go there because he loved it. Could you imagine if Weird Al was your dad? No. <laughs> that might be a little crazy though, dude. <laughs> I am. So this is now the Weird Al podcast, but UHF is a f i love that movie so much Classic. and that soundtrack it is a freaking i mean you got uh uh, uh what's richards before he's on kramer seinfeld and all these oh, other yeah. you know people victoria jackson from saturday night live and just it's it is an amazing record and some really good songs on it or out or movie the rambo the rambo scene's the best the rambo oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah we go course. to save michael richards yes with 1989 uh, so that was yeah that was the year I was born, but I, I, I've i watched that movie, yeah. 19, so. Man, look at you, you young pup. So 1989, that, that came out in June of 89. 
which also Batman, Tim Burton's Batman came out the same month. They, they came out like a week or two apart. Wow. The test screenings of UHF tested higher than Batman. So the studio moved up the date closer to Batman because they thought they were going to have this bona fide hit that was going to compete with Batman. But what happened was, you know, the general public, everybody went to see Batman and the UHF shit got buried. <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> All right. We'll move on from Weird Al, even though. Next. You know, talk with Weird Al. Um, what's the first guitar you've had ever got? First guitar I ever got was a Washburn X series. It was like a Strat looking thing with humbuckers. Yep. And that was the guitar that came with like the, the amplifier. The package. Yeah, the starter kit. How high was the action on that guitar? Dude, that guitar, well, like I was an idiot little kid. So like that guitar, like I remember I'd like hold it up and I'd shake it and something would be rattling. And I'd take it to the <laughs> store and be like, my guitar is broken. And the guy would be like, what? And like something would be rattling. Or if I broke a string, I'd be like, oh, I got to take this to go get it fixed. The action was very high. You drive yeah. a truck better. Yeah. Yes. Make it mix up for some poor quality workmanship, probably. Yeah. <laughs> Are you a Wisconsin sports fan? Oh, I've kind of fallen off the wagon as of recently on it, but I used to be hardcore Packers fan. So what about this Aaron Rodgers to the Jets thing? It's a big deal, but I've, I dude, I've, I've, I've dodged the bullet. I'm not even following it. Like, okay. I've heard about it. My family's definitely thinking about it and talking about it. I, I'm out of it, man. Well, Brett Favre did the same thing. You remember he left Green Bay and went to the Jets and that ended very poorly. I don't think it's a good decision for Aaron. Um, but what do I know? But it was, you know, uh, I don't know. We'll see what happens. Okay. All right. (laughs) Are you a guy that streams TV and movies or are you somebody that would more rather read or not do anything at all? No, I used to be one that would rather not do it at all, but now I feel like it's a good release. Uh, so I'm a streamer, man. I'll go on like dumb stuff though, like YouTube TV and yeah. watch. I'll, I'll like go down a rabbit hole where it'll either be like, you know, I'll watch stuff like conspiracy theories, but then the next thing I'll be watching like, uh, you know, a, like random, like Blackfoot live in Paris, 1982. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and then all of a sudden I'll be like, oh, Blackfoot, wait. What is this one? This Molly Hatchet? I never saw it. You know what I mean? And I'm up till 3 a.m. And I'm like, I need to stop, you know? Uh, same, same. And now you told me that um, on Eric Sardinia's to follow his, I've watched a lot of the rock class, like uh, Blackberry Smoke, our friends yeah. and Jane, Jane Lee Hooker. Do you know who Jane Lee Hooker is? I do, but I've never heard. They are like this female blues rock band out of New York. They're great. They've got a rock class oh, episode. Check them out. Like real powerhouse singer, twin a duo lead guitar players but i'm gonna certainly check that out where yeah. i'm going in a really roundabout way is do you have a go-to musical performance on youtube like that, that you know that you, again you just kind of keep coming back to it i always had one stevie ray vaughn live at the elma combo mm-hmm. that was like that was the moment i remember like when i saw that when i was a kid i was like holy shit like the band first off the band is firing on all cylinders but stevie yep. he's just comes out of the gate like a like a rhino man and it's just like the whole show you know halfway through that thing i'm like my, i'm i'm literally so my face is so melted off every time i watch it i still watch that probably once a month i have forever it's there are so many good clips of him playing online and that's that's the one youtube is amazing because you can be like 
name a band or artist and there is a live perform there's i don't know where people get that shit and from like 50 years ago they have it mm -hmm. no it's crazy dude i mean we're so lucky to have that resource now because it's like all of that footage that probably used to circle around and bootleg and tapes and stuff right. you know, now it's out here for all of us it's pretty awesome yeah. but that's my, that's my performance for sure yeah man that's a freaking good one do you ever use youtube to like if you want to cover a song or something to figure out how to play a part or you do everything by ear i usually do it by ear but there's times when like i'll get asked to play on something and they're like dude yeah. jared can you play on this thin lizzie track and i'll go and i'll be like shit and i'll watch someone be like hey guys this is how you play thin lizzie blah 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 and i'll watch like 30 seconds of it and i'll be like oh okay they play it right there and then I'll go off it. So yeah, I'll, I'll cheat a little bit. Okay. So for everybody listening out there who's playing guitar, it is no shame in going to YouTube to help figure out something. Do whatever it takes, man. Whatever it takes. I, I feel a little bit better about myself, Brian. That's good. But I've gotten better <laughs> guitar too, where it's kind of like you, maybe I don't, it's not 30 seconds. Maybe it's a minute and a half where I can get, oh, I see what you're doing or where you're going to go and kind of figure out stuff from there. But it is, it listen, you can take lessons on YouTube and learn how to play any instrument without actually going to somebody in person. It's crazy. Totally. It's great. It's amazing. Um, are you more Star Wars or Star Trek? Neither, man. Nice. Really? Got into it. <laughs> are you like a Marvel or DC superhero person or neither? Neither. You know what I was into as a kid? Horror movies. Ooh. Okay. So Jason, Pinhead. I mean, that it, Pennywise, like that was my shit. So horror. all the 80s classic horrors series. So I was the third child. So like when it, I even joke with like uh, my wife about it, but like when she was watching Disney movies, I remember finding Nightmare on Elm Street, Dream Warriors and like being like, whoa, you know, like I was a little kid. I was into Halloween and all of it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, I never got into Star Trek or Star Wars. I never really got into the superhero thing. Not because I'm, I am I have a problem with it. It's just I never went there and uh, it was never my thing. So I, I always joke with people. I'm like, dude, I've never seen Star Wars. And people literally like puke. They're like, how have you never seen it? You know, or Star Trek. And, you know, I, it was just never my thing. No, but no, your age too. Now we got to do a guitar special with Jared and Boone Froggett and Ace Von Johnson. Do all the horror movie, yeah, all the horror discussions. Oh, dude, let's go! I love that. We do a Halloween episode every year, and we pick you know horror themed rock songs, and we talk music. So we had Ace on this past year. We've had Boone and the Daisy Dead from the Dead Deads on the past. So we'll we'll put you down, and we'll we'll, we'll start. We'll call you up around October to see if you're available. Yeah, come on, man, let's go. <laughs> did you have a preference over like let's call them the big three trilogies uh halloween uh nightmare on elm street or friday the 13th it was definitely nightmare on elm street okay freddy krueger scared the shit out of me that's that was my halloween costume for like seven years straight <laughs> but it was the worst version of freddy i remember you used to go buy the glove at like kmart yeah, and like i'm like, rocking on that but then like the face was always like uh either like a, it looked like spaghetti like you know like it never turned out right, but Freddie was my guy. Still is. Okay. But now I watch those movies. I still watch those movies. Like if I'm sitting there playing guitar or whatever, I'll throw it on. And now yeah. I just laugh more than anything, especially oh, the sure. Oh, the uh, Nightmare on Elm Street ones really got goofy. I mean, Dream Warriors was sort of the transition where he's got a little bit more of a sense of humor, but it's probably the 
best overall movie right uh, in the series the first one's scary it's a legitimate scary and he's only got like 10 minutes of screen time in that movie yeah dude the first one and then yeah i'm i'm i like them all though but uh nightmare on street three it holds a holds my heart because that was the first one i saw and i remember being scared i remember and they had is, good soundtracks too you know this is a true story, and yeah. oh yeah totally great soundtracks no, I cut you off. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say that the story was I remember finding two tapes that day. Nightmare on Elm Street and Girls Gone Wild. <laughs> <laughs> okay, which one was more influential? <laughs> well, I, I was so scared. I swear to God, I was so scared of Nightmare on Elm Street. I was like, I'm not putting on Girls Gone Wild. I don't want to know what's going to happen on that. And I remember <laughs> after that, I, I saw that tape later on down the road. But that was the, the day when uh, uh, I was probably six seven years old yeah so funny dude yeah that is pretty that's a lot at that age six or seven years old some of those movies man oh uh, yeah i was i was freaking especially when uh when i don't know if you remember uh on dream warriors when the little girl she rides in on her bike and then she chases her little girl where are you and then she's holding her she goes stop you're yes. hurting me and she's i remember dude i like literally lost it it's great <laughs> <laughs> i love that that's... one what is the best horror movie soundtrack in your opinion? Oh, that's a good one. Um, I do like that Nightmare on Elm Street, the Dream Warriors one with Dawkins and who else? Anthrax and who else was on it? Um, but I do like all of the John Carpenter Halloween stuff. I think that that's the better when it comes from like a composition point, like that's that's pretty awesome stuff. Those are classics. I'm trying to find my, my audio visual aid. I'm, where is it? Uh, I'm gonna have to give up. I'm gonna have to give up. Where did it go? Too many records. Well, now we're just having dead air and me far away from. <laughs> I was gonna pull out my Return of the Living Dead soundtrack. Great, great flick, dude. You I love another, that one. You know, another good favorite of mine is Dawn of the Dead when they were in the. Mall. Oh yeah, yeah. That that score. I don't know who does that score, but yeah, it's a, got it's got a. It's almost like 80s synthy. I don't know, sinister. Yeah, dude, that's a great one. That's awesome. Um, Return of the Living Dead was a weird ass movie. In a good I way. love it. It's one of my favorites. Just iconic. Iconic, man. Iconic. Give us a artist or song that we'd be surprised to hear that you'd like. Oh, that's a good one. Hmm. Man, that's a tough one. I'm trying to think something that you'd be surprised that I like. It's like uh, AKA the guilty pleasure question and people don't always like it being called a guilty pleasure. No, no, totally cool. Uh, dude, like <laughs> early Britney Spears. Not, hit me baby <laughs> one more kid, time. <laughs> dude, when I was a kid, that was the shit that was on the radio. So I'd hear that and it brings me right back to that. Or even here's the really one. The Spice Girls, dude. Oh, there we go. When I hear that, so, people would look at me and be like, him, this? And it's like, <laughs> I can't I can't change when I grew up and the things I heard, you know? So all of a sudden I'll be singing it. It's like, oh yeah, I remember this. You got a lot, there's nothing wrong with some pop music, especially, you know, pop, pop is like eating junk food. 100%, dude. Henry Rollins told me that once. He said, punk music is like uh, fast food. He goes, at first it's pretty good when it comes out. <laughs> an hour or two later and eh, it's not the greatest he's like the next day you're not even touching it well, 
Who is your Spice Girl? Everybody had their one. Hi, Sporty, dude. Sporty, that, 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 she was right in my range. Brian, who was your Spice Girl? Did you have a Spice Girl? No, I can't say that. Did. Didn't have a favorite? All right. Yeah, I'm not going here. Not. All right. Three more questions, two short and one a little bit longer. Um, mm -hmm. If you could play on any stage, any night with any artist or band, living or dead, who would you choose? I would have tried to, I wanted to play at Stevie's last show, him, Eric Clapton, Robert Cray, Buddy Guy, Jimmy Vaughn. Like that would have been, you know, that, that would be it. Yeah. It'd be either that uh, or take me to the Fillmore East, Cream, Albert King, Humble Pie. Oh man. Go oh, good choices. Nice. Classic choices. Yeah. He's sick. Albert King and Humble Pie. You can't go wrong with either of those. Mm-hmm. People, people sleep on Humble Pie. I don't think those guys really get the, especially this day and age. It's a shame, dude. That's a, that is a fucking badass band. Oh, hell yeah. Like 30 that's Days in the insane. Hole and all that oh, shit, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's, that stuff's hard, man. Like, that's a, that's a, um, I love, I love all that stuff. Yeah. I love Heavy. So you like the heavy blues rock. I mean, again, Cream Power Trio, like you guys, Power Trio. Uh, what about Government Mule, man? They started out as that Power Trio. 100% dude. Love it. Love it. I love the fact of like, you know, like when people say blues rock, they, they use that term pretty loosely. But when you start talking about stuff like mountain cream, 10 years after government mule, uh, you know, cactus, uh, like there's Johnny went early Johnny winter stuff. You know, there's, there's so much great stuff. And uh, it really is like that convergence of like that blues based, heaviness and i love it going to nashville this weekend where is a place that you would recommend somebody going to nashville should go to eat Ooh, good question well there's a few classics you, you can go to martin's barbecue mm -hmm. if you like barbecue edley's barbecue if you like barbecue <laughs> uh i would say though if you want to get a great chicken sandwich you should go to hattie b's Hattie B's, yep. They have a great chicken sandwich. Or let me think, if you just want like an all-around badass burger, I'm trying to think of a good spot for you there. Oh, it's um, Jack Brown's Burger Bar, close to downtown. Yep, I'm Dude, writing that one down. Be careful. That's the kind of place that you're, yeah, I'll, I'll take a burger and then you're going to order a second. And then it's like, <laughs> it's good. Jack Brown's. All right. Uh, Brian, I'm going to talk to David Hudson and see if I can't con convince go. him to go to Jack, Jack Brown's on Friday at some point. Yes, dude. All right. Last question. Give us a good story from your vast experience touring. I, the, the, the Skinner stuff was awesome, but hey, give us funny, whatever, what to come pops in your mind. Oh, okay. Good story. Oh, I got a good story. So one we when we toured uh a few years back in england we when we would stay in basically like the middle of england we had a friend there he did merch for glenn hughes forever his name was richard it's kind of a random story but i'll leave you guys with a spooky one and <laughs> uh, i remember he said hey if you guys ever need a place to stay when you're in york which is near like robin hood country like the robin hood forest and all that um it's a nice central spot he said i live in this old converted barn that was converted into a house at like the early 1900s. So 
he would invite us to stay there. And I always had a weird feeling when I'd go there, you guys. So like, I remember the first time we went there and not he, him, his uh, partner, the house. Awesome. Great spot. But I'd always get these feelings. So I remember the first time we went there, I got like super sick, super sick. Came on right away. Once I left, I was good. Then the next time we went there, we were getting out of our van after a show we played in Nottingham. And we're, me and the drummer, Dennis, we're like, oh man, we got to pee. So we walked to the side of our, of our van, which is like, and it's in the middle of nowhere, like really in the middle of nowhere. And I'm peeing and he looks over <laughs> at me and he, he's peeing next to me. And uh, I said, and this sounds so stupid, but he goes, hey man. And I was like, what's up? I said, I'm a grower, not a shower, right? <laughs> so we start to laugh just like you are. And all of a sudden from like 10 feet away, we hear, <laughs> we hear this laugh. And I literally like stop midstream peeing. And I look at him, I'm like, did you hear this? Right? So he goes, yeah, I heard that. So we run into the house. That's the second time we were there. Third time we were there. It was like a horrible snowstorm, but everyone wanted to go to the pub and go drink. But I was like, I'm not going. So I stay behind, right? And I pass out like on the couch and on the window next to me, I hear like someone tapping, right? Yeah. But I'm on the second story. And there's some, someone tapping on, something tapping on the window. And I'm like, I'm not looking up. I'm not looking <laughs> up, right? So all this to be said, that I remember that then we were we were on this run and Dennis goes, hey man, I have this book that I took from Richard's house. And he's like, it's awesome. It was like a biography of like the band or something. And I was like, dude, get that. Like away. the band, the band, like Levon yeah, Elm and Robbie Robertson, all that. I was like, dude, get that away from me, right? <laughs> so anyways, I tell my friend Richard this story that, you know, because this is like a tour story because every time we go there, something weird would happen to me. I tell my friend Richard this story and he goes, oh yeah, the house is haunted, 100%. He's like, there's like three, there's like three uh, spirits that live in the house. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> what the fuck? And he goes, yeah, the last time was, uh, I saw one, he was, uh, uh, he, I guess he was looking at his wife and he looked over and there was just some crazy guy just standing next to his wife. And then he looked away oh. and he was gone. So this is, a, uh, that's, I know that's a really random story. That's a good one. Talking about spooky stuff. I just got freaking goosebumps. When you're on tour, you're always staying in different places. One time we were staying at this like old converted castle. Same vibes, dude. Where I was like, and I'm not one of those people that's like super in tune with the supernatural. But I'm like, this place feels scary. Like there's, you know, and I remember we each had our own rooms in this castle. And yet again, me and Dennis, we were, our rooms were next to each other. I was like, dude, my room's got two beds. Like stay in my room. Like this shit's too scary. <laughs> Pretty funny. Oh my god! Yeah, that that Brian, that's freaky. You know, that I've never personally experienced any of that stuff, but I know people have, and that that gave me a little bit of goosebumps. To be honest with you. <laughs> well, there's your story, man. That's a good one. That is a good one. That is a good one. That may top top some of the other crazy stories that we've heard. <laughs> Oh, one last thing for you. You played a show recently with our friends in Bourbon House. It's crazy snowstorm, but how did how did the Bourbon House crew sound? Killer, great yeah. band. Right, we're definitely gonna do more shows together for sure. That night was bad. I, I remember 
The snow was horrible. First off, yep. we had it was a horrible snowstorm. Still had a great crowd, but um, it was right at the beginning of me getting super sick too. So I was like in a, you like one of those like <clears throat> just cough, yeah. you know, whatever. Um, but they sounded fantastic. That was a great night. And I even told them that night. I was like, you guys, we got to do more shows because they kick ass. Real good sound. Real good sound. Absolutely, going. man. I really, and, and it's hard to find bands, especially that are ready to tour, that are ready to rock. And, and they sure are. Yeah. And Jason and Lacey are good people. Absolutely. I mean, if your name's Jason, you sort of got to be all right. <laughs> Come on, get out of here with all this now. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Everybody, the record is self-titled Jared James Nichols. It's awesome. It's powerful. Go out, buy it, check it out. Go on tour. I know you've got some dates in Europe, but is anything coming out here in the U.S. soon? Yeah, we're announcing on Friday. We're going to do okay. basically all of May into June. Then we'll head to Europe. And then coming back in mid-July, we'll be back in the States here. So it's all getting announced. Probably by the time this comes out, it's going to be announced. Okay. I, I did think I saw maybe one show announced already with Tuck Smith opening, maybe in Jersey. That's one of like 16 that are coming out on Friday. I'm interviewing him on Saturday. I have him on oh, the roster. Awesome. Well, tell him I say hello, please. I, I will. That uh, Ballad of Reckless Youth album is great. It's awesome. But man. so is Jared James Nichols' self-titled record. Go buy it. It's awesome. He's a killer guitar player. He has his own line. Uh, where should we go to find out more about your merch, your albums, your tour dates? Man, whatever's clever. We got Facebook. We got Instagram. We got Twitter, all that stuff. Or if you just want to go to the source, jaredjamesnichols.com that's find simple right there. that's simple brian well thank you so much to jared james nichols for coming on and you know we're already declaring that you're going to be a regular on the podcast just so you know so <laughs> let's go whether you want to we'll or not harassing you I'm in. whenever we get a chance so thank you so much for coming on thank you guys for having me it's been a pleasure chatting your ear off um and uh we'll do it again soon thank you so much to jared james nichols for joining us uh, I'm sure you guys are still trying to recover from, you know, you're playing, you're playing in the studio rehearsal place and <laughs> in walks Steven Tyler. <laughs> and says, who are you? <laughs> you're playing at a gig and all of a sudden it's like, hey, it looks like Ricky Medlock's watching me and Gary Rossington. It's just incredible. Like, and, and you know, it, it's just so cool. Like, you're so grounded about it, but very grateful at the same time. Completely grounded and like nonchalant about it. It's amazing. What in I, you know, just agree. He was one of those guys, Brian, we could talk to another hour and not even know felt like it. <laughs> and the great haunted house um stories it, from the road. We got another great Hall of Fame uh tale from the road story. This one's certainly our most creepiest to date, but man. Dude's had a great career. I love his style of music we get into. You guys heard how his style of music, playing guitar, using his fingers. Talked to some of his, about his gear and even his Epiphone line of guitars and a new guitar is coming out. And just, he's played with Bourbon House, you heard. He's been with the Georgia Thunderbolts, a lot of our friends. And uh, by this point, you should be well aware of his U.S. dates that are out and be planning to go out and see him when he's in your area. So yeah, get the new self-titled record, go out to see them, and always remember, Southern Rock is reverent, blues is blood, we'll see you next time.
It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.